from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. It is a, it is a job. Breastfeeding mm-hmm. is work. It does tie the mother and the baby together. And in modern life, moms go back to work too soon. And that's a huge barrier before breastfeeding is well established. And I can hear maybe some moms listening to this. When you say moms go back to work too soon, some moms have to go back to work. If they want to keep that job, there's not much of a choice there. When you write this book, you make it very clear the problem isn't with the woman. The problem is with society. I'm Sarah Fenske. 65 years ago this month, La Leche League got its start right here in the Midwest. The seven moms who first met in the Chicagoland area had no grand plans. They just wanted to support each other and women like them as they breastfed their babies. From those humble beginnings, an all-volunteer organization has grown to work in 89 countries and has fostered a huge increase in the number of babies being breastfed around the globe. But their work isn't done yet, not even close. All that still needs to be done to make breastfeeding accessible and supported is the subject of Erin O'Reilly's new book. It's called The Recipe for Breastfeeding Support in America. And Erin O'Reilly is a St. Louis-based registered nurse, lactation consultant, and La Leche League leader. And she joins us today with more. Erin, welcome. And thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be here to discuss this really important subject of breastfeeding support. So Erin, I want to start just briefly with your story. You were a registered nurse for years. You worked in community health for a decade. But that's all before you realized just how difficult it was to breastfeed a baby. What opened your eyes to this? Well, when I first started working with moms and babies in the early 80s, hardly any mothers breastfed at that time. And so um, I enjoyed working with the moms that did, and I learned a lot through them. And then I worked in labor and delivery and prenatal care, labor and delivery, and postpartal care. And um, I helped a lot of moms breastfeed, so I thought I knew pretty much. But then it came to when I had my own baby, and I thought, oh, my God, there's so much more to know about breastfeeding. And I had my challenges, and I learned, and I got support for them from my sister and La Leisha League. And um, then I became a La Leche League leader and learned um, so much through La Leche League work. And so then a year after that, I became certified as a lactation consultant. And so you really went all in on this work. Tell us for you, what were some of the challenges that you had to deal with as a new mom? Um, of course, the common one is sore nipples. And, um, and that um, is is a deterrent. You know, we recognize mm-hmm. that. Um, breastfeeding, you know, a lot of moms get sore nipples and they don't get the best advice, you know, and you're only in the hospital for two days and then you're home on your own before your milk is even in. Mm-hmm. And the milk comes in further and your breasts get large and it's really hard to get those babies latched correctly. Mm-hmm. I wish it could be like in England where, you know, or some of the other countries where mom's got somebody coming to the house, you know, on a At the time when you're really ready to talk about these things. Yeah, not how we do it in this country. No. But so I guess that kind of leads to the question. I mean, you mentioned some of the things that, that make this hard, and it can be hard. Why is breastfeeding so important? Let's start with for babies. 
Well, for so many reasons. Um, the immunity, of course, all the proper nutrients. Breast milk is alive. It's dynamic. It changes according to the baby's needs, to their growth and development, to their stages. And um, there's a e- Elizabeth Ann Quinn, a doctor at WashU, does research on breast milk, and she studies breast milk from around the world and finds that there, you know, it's a different recipe according to what kind of viruses, what kind of diet is in that particular, even the latitude is important in in terms of a mother's breast milk. So all these changes going on, and um, yet it's not given the respect that it needs to give. It is a it is a job. Breastfeeding mm-hmm. is work. It does tie the mother and the baby together. And in modern life, moms go back to work too soon, and that's a huge barrier before breastfeeding is well established. And I can hear maybe some moms listening to this. When you say moms go back to work too soon, some moms have to go back to work. If they want to keep that job, there's right. not much of a choice there. When you write this book, you make it very clear the problem isn't with the woman. The problem is with society. Yes, um, definitely with society. Um, Women go back to work. Some of the women I worked with go back to work after just three or four or five weeks, back to fast food and, you know, to house cleaning jobs, and they have no place to pump. So they might want to breastfeed, but they just can't do it. They can't pump at work. They lose their milk supply right away. So you get them started, and things mm-hmm. are working okay for the babies and for the mom, and then it just kind of all comes to a screeching halt. Right. And the um, it's sad because it's so inequitable because moms who, um, you know, work in a job that is has their own office, and they have policies for some um, time off from work, paid time off, and or certain states have um, paid time off. But that's far and few between. Less than a fourth of women get any paid time off in -hmm. in America. And that's why with the infrastructure um, bill coming up, I hope they're already talking about decreasing it. I hope they don't decrease the three months paid time off paid family time off because that's already too little in my opinion. I talk about six months paid leave in my book. I mean, that would be a sea change for this country. We're nowhere near that. I mean, there's so many right. jobs that don't even offer any, frankly. Right. And and um, and in other countries, you know, in many other European and Japan and so many other countries, they are getting many months of paid time off. And so Already in America, it's too late. I mean, it's not too late, but we we're late at coming to that to this table of paid time off, and three months is already too little. So please don't whittle that one down. I, is what I'm <laughs> that's a saying. policy that I know is really important to you. Yeah. One of the other policies that you really go in depth on in this book, and this is something that you understand so well because you work with the WIC program. Now, this is women, infants, and children. This is a major source of aid for lower win- income mothers. Um, but you're concerned that they are pushing formula too much to babies. What gives you pause about how they're doing that? Well, WIC started out as um, very dairy-oriented in the 70s, and then um, it was just giving food. And then sometime in the 80s, they realized, oh, we need to help. And that's when breastfeeding rates were still quite low, especially among lower-income women. And so they realized they had to help out with formula because babies were coming into ERs with failure to thrive being 
you know, fed other things or over-diluted formula to make it last longer. So then WIC started giving formula. Um, WIC is, a, a formula is a big part of the WIC program. Now, um, WIC does do breastfeeding support, and that's what I did in WIC. And so WIC does a lot of breastfeeding support. But the funding for formula is so much more in WIC than it is for breastfeeding support. And I think WIC needs to start easing off on some of the formula while they're doing more for breastfeeding support. So these are some of the same women that you were referencing earlier that are the women that are least likely to be able to do this on the job. They don't Mm -hmm. have the comfort of having an office where you can close and lock that door. Um, How do we incentivize breastfeeding without putting babies in that situation in peril? I mean, some of them, they need this formula desperately. Well, there's a new act called the PUMP Act for nursing mothers that's just being proposed right now. So um, we're hoping that that will extend the law behind pumping at work for all mothers. Right now, what we have now, the Nursing Mothers Act, only covers a few people, um, you know, to pump at work. But this new law that's just being proposed, and it's being considered right now in Congress, so people could call in and, and ask for, it to, for their congressperson to support the Pump Act. So we actually heard from somebody who heard we were going to be talking about breastfeeding on today's show. Uh, Debbie sent us an email. She writes, 9 million working mothers are not covered by the break time for nursing mothers law. Only hourly workers are covered and not those on salary. The three main reasons moms quit nursing before meeting their goals are pain, low supply, and returning to work. Debbie writes, I'm an international board certified lactation consultant, and like Erin, I can usually help resolve pain or supply issues, but maintaining a supply requires frequent emptying of the breasts and a place to do so even during the workday. The PUMP Act, which she says is H.R. uh, 3110, that's now before Congress would resolve this inequity and give all breastfeeding moms a chance to meet their goals. That email is from Debbie. And we're joined today by Erin O'Reilly. She's a St. Louis-based registered nurse. She's a lactation consultant, and she's a leader with La Leche League. Her new book is The Recipe for Breastfeeding Support in America. Debbie mentioned, Erin, this law, the Break Time for Nursing Mothers Law. And this is right now the law of the land. From the women that you've worked with, do you think this law is being followed by employers around the land? No, it's not. Because, um, like, again, I I work with a lot of people who are low-income and work in low-income jobs. And uh, there's no no place even. Uh, There's no private space for them to pump at work. And so they're there with a pump in, say, like a a public bathroom. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and that's the, definitely and the against the law. States, yeah, the law states that you shouldn't have to pump in the bathroom. Um, sometimes moms go out to their car and wear a little um, shawl over them and pump in their car. But when it's real cold or real hot, that that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's very tricky. And the whole pumping thing at work is that they only get breaks every four hours to do this. And if you go back to work when your baby's young, we all know that babies feed about every two hours when they're real young. And so if a mom's only pumping every four hours, but her baby was feeding every two hours, she's probably going to kind of get a slower milk supply production. Mm -hmm. And so that's she might lose her milk supply. So for women who are in this situation, um, say that their employer is following the letter of the law, they're getting it every four hours, but there's not a good space to do it. What kind of advice did you give the women that you dealt with? Well, breastfeeding isn't an all-or-nothing situation. Many moms, 
if they were got breastfeeding off to a good enough start, or especially if it wasn't their first baby, sometimes they could go for longer periods and not pump, and their bre- your, their breast would get kind of used to it. But then when they get home, feed, 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 feed to make up for lost time. Mm-hmm. So um, their baby might get formula when they're working, but they're still able sometimes to maintain the breastfeeding relationship. Partial breastfeeding is still good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Better than giving up entirely. Right. And so when you were coaching women, you'd say good enough is, is, is okay. Yes. Do every little bit that you can. Yeah. And were women receptive to that? I mean, are people understanding, hey, like doing just a little bit, this is good for my kid. Oh, yes, they were. It, it also depends on the baby because sometimes the babies start refusing to go to the breast and then the mom just has to resort to pumping, which is unfortunate because they get too preferential towards the bottle because mm-hmm. um, they get used to it at daycare or whatever. Um, but the, I've worked with so many moms who have, like in the first four weeks or six weeks that they might have off from work, they breastfeed fully, and then they pump, pump, pump. They're pumping it up because they want to save it up. Get a stash get going. Get a stash so that their baby can get a month or two more of their milk after they go back to work when they know they won't lose their milk supply because they can't pump at work. I just I find that just heart wrenching myself that they have to do that. But and so this goes back to your proposal here that if women were able to take more time off, that would solve a whole lot of these issues. Yes, yes. If they could take, you know, I say six months because that's when the baby's exclusively breastfeeding, and we all know that breastfeeding babies go through growth spurts, and they um, feed often. You know, it's not just. You know, it's 10, 11, 12 times a day is an average for a young baby. And that is a full-time job because each feed is like 30 to 40 minutes or even longer if the mom's having trouble. And that in enough just by itself is a full-time job. So that would be a sea change um, in how this country thinks about mothers, how it thinks about dealing with things like family leave, um, how we think about women who have jobs. Uh, It's hard to see some employers going along with this, frankly. I mean, are, are you worried that in some ways, by just talking about breastfeeding, you're almost calling for a revolution? Yes, I think a revolution needs to happen. You know, uh, I mean, <laughs> You're it's, not it's away time. From that. I, yeah. It's time. I talk about in a, a birth strike in, in my book because it's kind of happening anyway. Birth rates are going way down. Women are getting frustrated and they're thinking, you know, it's too hard to try to be a mom and work. And so I'm just going to delay having a baby or just have one baby or not have a baby at all. That's happening. Finally, here in America, it's happening. So we need to wake up to that because we need babies, you know, to support the old people, you know. (laughs) So the flip side of this, and I do hear this from friends who are moms um, a lot, where people feel that maybe back in the 70s and 80s, breastfeeding was not something that hospitals talked about. It wasn't things that moms were given support for. But that now the pendulum has swung to the point that some moms who are just finishing that birth experience um, and breastfeeding is not working for them, and they feel pressure. They feel societal expectations that if you're a good mom, you're going to make this work when this doesn't work for them and their body. It's just not – it doesn't work for their kid. Their their child might have some problems how do you feel about that? Well, I first of all, I feel that many times the they didn't get the support that they needed early on 
And then it got into such a difficult position. But I never, I would encourage moms, and I hear it all the time, I regret, I blame myself. The moms say that a lot. And I always try to redirect them, no, it's not your fault. The system has served you up so many barriers. Um, It's the system's fault. It's our country's fault for not recognizing this important gender-related work that we do. And, and making it easier for us, you know. So I try to redirect that. Yeah, women should not feel bad about the no. choices they end up making. No, and sadly, the, uh, the effects of so many generations of non-breastfeeding is, um, you know, some people think that it is causing some of the problems that women have with low milk supply and not being able to produce, or infertility. Infertility is a part of a metabolic disease and breastfeeding increases metabolic disease both for the mother and the babies and so um, breastfeeding problems are a part of infertility so it's it's like a minute on your lip forever on your hips it's going to take some work to get you know our breasts back to functioning at higher levels and breastfeeding is going to do that for us but this revolution me- you're talking about is not going to come overnight. No, it's not. And But, you know, time is needed, but more support is needed to help us get back up to it. And partial breastfeeding might be the case for a while, but, you know, that'll that'll work. You know, that'll build it back up again. So something else that you get into in this book that I thought was interesting, when I was reading this book and thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about today, I was looking for statistics on how many women breastfeed, how long they do it, if they're hitting those goals of, of doing exclusively that for six months, if they can continue doing it for a year, things like that. The statistics just don't seem very good on this subject. That that seems like a source of some frustration for you. Oh, yes. This is a real bit bugaboo of mine. We have what we call the breastfeeding report card, which um, Surgeon General Regina Benjamin got started. And it is something, but it is a, it's not what's needed. Um, we need to improve upon it. So the, the report card is continuing breastfeeding statistics, and it's based on um, a survey, a phone survey done 19 to 36 months after a baby is born, and it has, it's, a ra- it's actually a national immunization, man-made immunization survey with only four breastfeeding questions tacked on to the end of it. And it's only done on less than 1% of the population, so about 200 people per average state. And that's our breastfeeding report data. Um, and They're so, asking women to look back what happened yeah. like a year ago. When yeah. did you stop? That kind of thing. Yes. Not how are you doing now. Right. And sometimes they don't even talk to the mother themselves. They talk to the father or, or a caregiver. That, that so, seems potentially like a source of inaccurate data in, in some households. <clears throat> definitely, definitely. And so I think that breastfeeding is, in, is as important enough of a public health tool for both mother and baby, that it needs to be assessed at every well baby visit. And that the questions need to be asked, how are you doing with breastfeeding? How many times is the baby going to the breast? Um, How many ounces of breast milk is the baby getting? Because, you know, if the mom's working per day, how many ounces of formula that would give partial breastfeeding? And then when are solids started? So those four questions would be documented on each and every well baby 
visits chart. And um, that would then could be compiled and sent to CDC to compile real, real-time accurate data on breastfeeding. Is your suspicion that uh, breastfeeding is being overcounted, that we think more babies are, are getting this full-time than are, or do you yeah. think it's being undercounted? Well, both. We really don't know. Yeah. It's it's a shot in the dark, really, because it's it, it's not give, be, being given the attention it needs to. Um, and it, that's a form of a gender inequity. There's more research and more data on erectile dysfunction and on cow milk, you know, and that's such an insult to the work women are doing to breastfeed their babies. Well, Erin O'Reilly, you make a great argument here, and I hope everybody will give your book a read. This is The Recipe for Breastfeeding Support in America. More information on that at stlonair.show. Erin O'Reilly, thank you for joining us today. And thank you so much for having me, Sarah. This episode was produced by Sarah Fenske with audio engineering by Aaron Doerr and production assistance from Jane Mather Glass. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.